Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the whole Bible through the lens of living water, and we hope you'll join us. Have you heard of St. Luke's Kitchen? Every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m., St. Luke's Kitchen prepares delicious home-cooked meals to be picked up curbside. You don't have to be a member of the church to purchase these meals. We love seeing friends from all over the community. Head chef Jimmy Tracy runs St. Luke's Kitchen along with tremendous volunteer support. You may remember Jimmy from his days in Crestline Village at Tracy's Diner. There are several ways to purchase a meal. The menu goes live on the St. Luke's Kitchen website every Friday to pick up the following Wednesday. To order, visit st-lukes.com and click Kitchen. This takes you directly to the St. Luke's Kitchen website to purchase online. Want to receive the menus directly to your inbox? Email kitchen at st-lukes.com and we will happily email you the menu with a direct link to order each week when the meal becomes available. Happy eating! Hey everybody, welcome back to season four of Jericho Road and a class that we're calling Living Water. I am fond of saying that most of us figure we should read the Bible, or maybe we even want to read the Bible, we just don't know how to read it. As a result, we stick with cherished verses, perhaps, or stories, while another thousand pages goes unread and unloved. So, this season, we'll use the backdrop of water, or the lack of it, to learn some new stories, meet some new people, and adventures with remarkable relevance and application for us today. Well, to be fair, people have asked me, why water? And I like to say that I'm a big fan of a concept called market myopia. That sounds like a mouthful. But that simply means that once you see something, you can't unsee it. Car dealerships love this stuff. Once you drive a car off the lot, you see your car everywhere, right? You didn't notice the silver four-door sedan before. In my travels to Israel, I began to notice water, and I started seeing it everywhere in the backdrop of just about every story in the hearts and minds of the people. Water's a motivation. Water's a threat. Lack of it's a threat. Uh, So anyway, water has become this lens through which I want to tell old stories in a new way. A good analogy, I like to think in analogies, is the movie Saving Private Ryan. True, it's the story of a soldier, but also seen through the lens of D-Day. So here we go with water. So to get us started, I'm going to remind us of something that every fifth grader in the public schools of Alabama already know. Our state, Alabama, has plenty of water. Our great seal, the symbol of our state, actually features a map with all the rivers running through it, which is more navigable water than any other state except for California. Our own Mobile River Basin extends from Mobile in the south into three neighboring states and contains the greatest biodiversity of freshwater snails in the world. Hey, here's my point. We don't have to think about water in these parts, but plenty of people do. According to the World Health Organization, two billion people live in water-stressed places, including the southwestern part of the United States, and including the land of the Bible, which is where we're going, right? I mean, then as now, people living in the world of Jesus thought about water all the time. 
In Israel today, my, my archaeologist friend, Edan, saves his children's own bath water to irrigate his garden. Water is that precious and that holy. As a matter of, of, of public policy, gosh, Israelis are always working on desalination projects for seawater, and all the cities recycle their sewage so that they can green the desert. They think about water all the time. In Bible times, people had access to water in the following ways. Cisterns would collect rainwater, and that's over the winter mostly, and this water would get pretty skunky. But the best water was fresh water from a spring or a well or a river or even fresh rain. And the Bible calls this again and again living water. One of the characters that we'll meet later in this podcast is the prophet Ezekiel, who, among other things, dreamed of the temple, which was now destroyed in his day, but one day would be rebuilt in God's glory. He had a dream. And when he dreams of the temple being rebuilt while he lives way out in Babylon in exile, his dream is not a temple made of silver or gold, but a temple made of water. Hey, check this out. This is Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 6. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And there water was flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east, and water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and water was coming on the south side. Going eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. He measured 1,000, then he led me through the water again, and it was knee-deep, and he measured 1,000, and he led me through the water again, and it was up to the waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, mortal, have you seen this? Splish, splash, he dreamed of water. Well, keep reading the Bible, and in time, we know they would go home, and the temple would be rebuilt, and God's people would worship there again. And by the time of Jesus, King Herod would turn the temple complex into the wonder of the ancient world, and greeting weary pilgrims as they arrived into Jerusalem would be water in the form of the Pool of Siloam. Okay, we need to pause for a quick tutorial here before we go further. Um, people living in the world of Jesus didn't worship exactly as we do. So, for instance, in the Galilee, Jesus' home, uh, you would pray and study each Sabbath in the synagogue, the local synagogue, uh, the house of prayer, the house of study, the community center. But for at least once a year uh, and for the entirety of your life, you would walk to one of the three festivals for worship, or all three if you could make it. So Siloam was a pool of water for nasty, dusty people coming on into town. And speaking of the festivals, and there were three, most scholars believe that rain prayers were an important element of the fall festival. You prayed for winter rain so that your crop would grow and you wouldn't die. And this was the Feast of Sukkot. And on the last day of that festival, water would be drawn by the high priest from this pool of Siloam, walked up the Temple Mount about 300 feet and poured ceremonially on the altar. And they called this act living water. Well, in John chapter 7, Jesus would stand right here in this place and call himself living water, which is remarkable in itself, but even more than it appears. Okay, we'll give some tutorials along the way. Here's another quick one when it comes to reading the Gospel of John, and especially John and water. Um, 
The fourth gospel, remember there are four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fourth gospel, John, is different than the other three for at least two reasons. One, it's 30 years younger than the first gospels, okay? The the first gospels were written beginning in the year 70. Uh, John was written around 100. The audience then, the audience of John's gospel, they were not Hebrews living in the world of Jesus, but rather Greek speakers who lived in the Roman world and would think differently and process differently. For this reason, the Gospel of John centers on another festival, the Fall Festival, while the first three focus on Passover. I've got a good analogy. The movie Saving Private Ryan, right, is the story of a man being rescued, but it's told through the lens of D-Day, so it's about two things. So John is told through the lens of Sukkot, while the first three are told through the lens of Passover. But why? Why the third festival and not the first? Well, As we said, John was written 30 years after, say, Mark. So any book written in, uh, here's a good analogy, any book written in 1992 would seem odd to a young person today, right? You've got to explain it. What's a payphone? What's a record store? So the author of John took the apostle's memory, the the beloved apostle, the, the favorite apostle probably of Jesus, John, his memories of Jesus, and he found an acceptable lens, which is water, You see, Passover would be difficult for a Greek person to understand at first. I mean, culturally, other. But water is universal. Oh, it's the perfect image, really, living water, for the simple reason that we can't make this stuff. Okay, we can make water. It takes an explosion to break down hydrogen and oxygen. And on May the 6th, 1937, the the German dirigible Hindenburg uh, blew up over New Jersey, right? It happened. It was filled with hydrogen and a spark ignited it and coupled with the ambient oxygen in the air, uh, it made a lot of fire, but it also made a lot of water. So you can make it, but not really. No, crudely put, water evaporates from rivers and lakes and oceans and collects as clouds and then returns as rain. And then it collects into bodies of water and the process begins again. Hey, only God can do that. And Jesus calls himself living water, which means that water is grace. But still, there was more going on when Jesus stood in front of the altar and called himself living water, because water makes a king. They all knew it. Everyone standing around knew the dream of the prophet Zechariah. Check this out. This is Zechariah 14, the 8th and the ninth verse. The prophet dreamed some 400 years before Jesus. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will become king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one, and his name will be one. Now, Jesus calls himself living water. The crowds know exactly what he's saying, and it's easy to see how they could miss the point when it comes to Jesus' presence in Jerusalem. They were looking for a political ruler, after all, someone to kick the Romans out of Judea. So my pal, Edan, back in Israel, maintains that it's always been this way in the Middle East. We can call any country over there what we want. We can call it the Democratic State of Israel or the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan or what have you. But in the end, it's all just hydro-feudalism. Whoever controls the water controls the country. So now... Bible stories are starting to have a new meaning with with water in the background, seen through the the lens of it or the lack of it. And knowing what we know now, let's look at a familiar story, again, from the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 4, 
uh, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. I'll just read a few verses, verses 3 through 10. Then Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, let's look at what we know. It's noon and it's hot. Uh, it takes place at a well, which is hard to draw water because that's deep. You've got to pull it up by rope with heavy jars. Sychar is a nearby town with accessible water of its own. So this woman is out at a well at the fork in the road, which means that she's an outcast. She's in the heat of the day, and she's also an enemy. She's a Samaritan, but more on Samaritans at a later podcast. No, rather, she lives outside the boundaries of her own community and the boundaries of Israel's God, or so they think. Here, Jesus bridges the gap with living water. Here, on a, on a dusty Samaritan road, we learn that the temple is now everywhere, and it's for everyone. Siloam water was now in Samaria. Hey, and that's just one water story. So greeting pilgrims as they entered the temple precincts would be the Pool of Siloam, but there were two pools within the whole total package, if you will, of the temple. Uh, the Pool of Siloam is at the bottom of the hill, and then another pool at the top of the Temple Mount called Bethesda. So near the Temple Mount is a pool of water that they used to wash the animals for sacrifice, which they believed made the water holy. In fact, in time, because they used it for such a holy purpose, a superstition arose they believed that this water had healing properties when angels would fly over the surface and an angel wing would brush the water, making a ripple. You would jump in immediately and you would be healed. Now we know the, the meaning of the great African-American gospel hymn, Wade in the Water. God's going to trouble the water. This is what this means. They believed if you saw the ripple, you could be healed of any, any infirmity. So it's a sad story when you read John 5 because there's a man who'd been on a mat for 38 years and he never could get to the water on time. Now you understand the drama. So with that superstition in mind and this presence of water, let's read what happens in John chapter 5, another John story, another water story at the other pool. This is John chapter 5, uh, beginning with the second verse rather uh, to the ninth. Check it out. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in Hebrew Bethsatha, which has five porticos. And in these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made well. And he took up his mat and he began to walk. I think there are at least two lessons here. First of all, if Jesus sees people, and I especially am thinking of invisible people, I'm also thinking of like little kids at a parade, right, that never can get the good candy that they throw off the float because someone bigger is in the way or they can't see. Uh, if Jesus sees all people, people who, who are left behind, people who are blocked out of the way, people who never can 
uh, seem to make it, then we must see them. Well, that's the first lesson. I mean, I think the second lesson has to do with the question, do you want to be healed? That seems, that seems like an odd question at first, but let's think about it. 38 years is a long time looking at that water and never coming in. I wonder sometimes after 38 years if we might settle. We might settle with our own low expectations, thinking that things won't change for us, that we'll never change. And yet Jesus offers the man living water right there. He doesn't even have to move. So now we're looking at John and we'll look at the rest of the Bible with the story of water in the background. Water they long for, water they dream of, water that has value in ways that perhaps we never considered before. And in the world of Jesus, water will bring new clarity and drama to these old stories that are now new stories. In our next episode, we're going to go back to a much older, older story, but it's still about water. But for now, I'll leave you with a question. What does living water mean to you? And if God offers it, will you take it? Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.